Um, today, my sermon comes from John 4. Actually, this is a, I asked her to raise it high, but it's a little too high. So my sermon today comes from John 4. So let's turn our Bibles to the book of John. And uh, let's go to the chapter 4. This is a story of the, the woman of Samaria, the woman at the well. You guys know her as uh, uh, the, the promiscuous woman. However you guys know this, this chapter, um, it's an encounter that Jesus has with this woman. So I'll read it to you guys. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his son and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give, I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Then the woman said to him, Sir, Give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you are now with is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our father worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell me all things, tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. That's a weird way to say that. I who speak to you am he. Um, Let me pray for you guys. Let me pray for us. Lord, we pray for the word. Uh, and Lord, we know that I know that as a as a as a preacher, Lord, the only thing that I can do is is shine light on who you are and help people to to know you rightly, Lord. So I pray that the word that goes out today will help us to see you rightly for who you really are, God. And may you touch our hearts. May you speak to us today. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. 
Amen. So John takes us, John 4 takes us into this area in, 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 you know, in the, in the, in Jerusalem, in this area where no, like, righteous Jew would be found dead in, right? Jews, like, if you were a righteous Jew, you, you were not found, like, being in Samaria. Like, when I was young, like, uh, like, we used to have this store called Pick and Save, right? Pick and Save was like a discount store. In California. Who grew up in California? Nobody as old as me, I think. So you guys don't know what pick and save is. You guys know Goodwill? Yeah, Goodwill, right? Goodwill, they, they sell used clothes. And when I was a young, when I was a kid, I like, my mom would say, let's go to the Goodwill. You need some jeans. And I'd be like, like this like fear would come upon me. I'd be like, I do not want to be found at Goodwill. So when we go to Goodwill, I would like keep my head down. And we go inside. And then when we come out, I'll keep my head down. Like I, like, I did not want to have anybody see me going into the goodwill nowadays like some of you hipsters all you do is shop at the goodwill right it's like it's like vintage back then there was no such thing as vintage right it was just you're poor right and so like but this is like what it was for samaria like samaria jews were like i will not even walk through samaria right because like i am a righteous jew and what had happened is when the northern kingdom got uh conquered by assyria the king of assyria actually sent like 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 pagan people from like that area to come and live in Samaria. It's found in uh, Second Kings, where like these pagan people um, from like different parts. They they have all those weird names like like Hizites and you know I, I I don't know them, but um they would come. They were actually said to ask to come and live in Samaria. So Samaria became this mixture of people because there were still like. Uh, Jews that were living in the areas around Samaria that were not did not go with the exile, and so it was a mixture of people that came together and uh, they intermarried, and then so it was like uh, uh, like like they were they were uh, they were like half Jews and then half like these uh, pagan religions, and then what they did is when they first came, they started to worship their pagan gods, all of their false gods that that came with them uh, from those lands, and so. <coughs> Everything was going well, and then all of a sudden, these lions started to attack them, right? I don't know. I didn't even know that they had lions in Israel, right? But it says that lions came and were devouring people. And so uh, the word got to the king of Assyria. So the king of Assyria actually, like, thought, I think he was superstitious, thought that the the god of the land was not being worshipped. And so he sent a Jewish priest from the one of the ones that got captured. He sent them back to Samaria to teach the people that are living in Samaria, like, the Jewish religion. And so... This guy came, and what had happened was, although he tried his best, it became this mixture of, like, ethnicity and a mixture of religion where they even actually knew kind of how to worship, but they actually didn't know who they were worshiping, right? That's where the Samaritans, and when the Jews saw this, they were like, oh, like, you know, like, they're like, oh, they're, they're not Jews. And so there was this, like, the hatred that the Jews actually had of Samaritans, right? Although they were half Jews, like, they, they saw them as half-breeds. And we know now that, like, mixed babies are beautiful, right? Right? Like, some of the most beautiful people. John Westfall, are you still here? Yeah, yeah, man. John Westfall, you're beautiful, right? Like, when Marcus and Anna, you guys have your baby, your baby's going to be beautiful, right? So we know that now. But back then, they, they saw it with, like, contempt. They saw it as, like, you know, in Harry Potter, 
I read a lot of Harry Potter in prison, right? In Harry Potter, they have like the mud bloods, the muggles, right? They were like, oh, you're not a witch. Like you're only, you know, like you're just a half witch, right? That's how they saw the Samaritans. And so there was like this hatred that the Samaritans had. And they literally did not travel through the land. If you're like a Pharisee, there was actually a road that left Jerusalem and went like, this is how it is. is Judea and Jerusalem is here. And then there's like the Samaritan, uh, Samaria above. And above that is Galilee. So if you want to go to from Galilee to Jerusalem, you have to either pass through Samaria. But there was actually this main road that literally like went an, a, a week's worth of journey outside to the Jordan River. And then they would like walk up the Jordan. They all walked back then. They walked up the Jordan River all the way past Samaria. And then they would like cut in back into Galilee, right? These were, they were so like, like they hated Samaria that they actually didn't even want to set foot into this area, right? And so this is the kind of the, 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 the hatred that's, that Jews had towards Samaria. And our scripture today tells us that he left Judea and he departed again for Galilee. So now he's going north and he had to pass through Samaria. He had to pass through Samaria, right? So now some people interpret this as like Jesus had this foreknowledge that this woman was going to be sitting at the well and that he, wanted, he had to have this encounter with this woman, so he had to pass through Samaria. If it wasn't for this woman, Jesus probably would not have been found in, in Samaria. I believe that that's only half true. I believe that Jesus knew that this woman was going to be there and Jesus knew that he had to talk with her. But I believe that this was also the way that Jesus traveled. Like, like Jesus is a, I believe he was pragmatic. I believe he, he's not going to walk a, a day's worth of journey just to avoid a bunch of people that he's going to eventually die on the cross for, right? But Jesus had no color lines, right? He like, he wasn't a regular Jew. He wasn't a regular rabbi. Like he was woke, right? I, I don't know. I'm old. I don't know what that means, but I think he was woke, right? And so like, like he actually would have traveled this way, but then he actually knew that there was this woman in there and he had this encounter with his with his woman and so i should tell you that what this was was a very out of the ordinary encounter like culturally jesus a rabbi a jewish rabbi should have had nothing to do with this woman there was this barrier of culture and religion that was just keeping like like jesus away from this woman and her also being a woman jesus should not be talking to her because back then like, this is a, another barrier, like, between Jesus and this woman. Like, back then, it was a very patriarchal society. Like, women, the only th- they, they had no rights. And the only thing that they were good for is to, to get pregnant, have babies, have sons, right? And then raise them, feed them, and then, and then stay in the home and take care of the home. That's all that women were really, like, like a- allowed to do. It was so much like this that there was actually a prayer that Jewish men prayed. It was a daily morning prayer. So every morning they would wake up and pray this prayer. And it is, blessed are you, Lord, our God, ruler of the universe, who has not created me a woman. Right? This was actually a prayer that they actually prayed. I don't know if they still do it now. But this is the type of society that, that the Jewish like, like religion was back then. And, and men were not Jewish men. Like if you're a righteous man, we're not supposed to greet women in public. So this is a, uh, so Jesus asking water from this woman is like shocking to her. It's very shocking. She's like, what? You a Jew? Talk to a Samaritan, me a woman? You know, like it's very, it, it, there was a, there was all of these barriers that were keeping uh, Jesus from actually talking to this woman. And also this woman is a woman that's rejected by society. 
Because we, we find out that she's drawing water at the sixth hour. The sixth hour is not 6 a.m. It's actually noontime, right? Because the day starts at 6 a.m. And so, like, like 6 a.m. is usually, like, the hottest time of the day. And so if you're going to draw water, you have to walk to the well, right? We don't, they don't have any, like, water machines, right? You have to literally walk to the well, put the well in, draw it out, and they literally have to carry it back to their home, right? And so if you're going to do this, and it's like a hot climate that they're living in, you're not going to do this in the middle of the day when it's, like, hottest outside. You're going to do it early in the morning where it's, like, cool, and you're not going to be all sweaty when you get back home. And so when this woman drawing water at, in the noontime basically saying that, is that she's rejected by society. The reason why she doesn't come in the morning is she doesn't want people to, like, see her or talk about her and, like, gossip about her. And we find out later on that she is one of these type of women, right? And so there's these barriers. She's a Samaritan. She's a woman. And she's also like a, a, like a, like a, a woman that's actually been rejected by society. Now, all of these barriers should have kept this conversation from ever happening. Right? These barriers should, would have kept any like, rabbi from talking to this woman. But Jesus breaks all of these barriers with four simple words. What does he say? Give me a drink. He says, give me a drink. And, you know, Jesus, being the master communicator that he is, because he with these simple words, he actually gets to the heart of the matter for this woman. And it's actually the heart of the matter for us all. And for most people, the heart of the matter would be that she's this immoral woman. When you read this, and she's like, she's had five husbands, right? I mean, she's had like, like, like at least four divorces, right? And then the one that she's with is even not even her husband. And so, like, the heart of the matter for most people would be, like, that she is immoral. She's a floozy, right? Like, when, <laughs> I don't know, I can't believe I'm saying this, but when, <laughs> when we got married, Amina, with my wife, would tell me about all of the guys that she dated. And, like, she used to have this kind of promiscuous life. I'd be like, you are a floozy, right? <laughs> it's a joke. It's like an old-timey way of, of saying, like, a promiscuous woman, right? And then, but it's, it's okay because when I would tell Mina about all the crazy things I did, like all of the drugs, and she would look at me and she's like, you are an agent of the devil, right? <laughs> so, like, it's the grace of God that has actually me preaching up here, right? And, like, we're actually leading a church. But, like, she would be considered this, this, this immoral, unrighteous, like, like dirty, like, like woman that should not even, like, be allowed to come and draw water in the morning. But if you really look at what Jesus is trying to point out here to this woman, the way that he's like talking to this woman, he isn't talking about her sins. He's talking about her thirst. Let's read this. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask me a drink? Ask for me a drink, a woman of Samaria, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritan. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Jesus is allowed to refer to himself in the third person, right? Because he is Lord. Um, and he's, what he's trying to get at is, he's trying to get at her spiritual thirst. He's like, if you knew who was talking to you, you would ask me and I would give you living water. He's trying to get at this longing that is in her heart. But the woman just responds in the natural. He's like, how is you going to give me water if you don't even have a bucket? Right? And he's trying to talk about spiritual things, but she's talking about a bucket. Right? 
She's just, she's, she doesn't get it. Like, Jesus is trying to reach a part of her, her soul, and, in, and she's talking about a bucket. And so, once again, she responds in the natural, then give me this water. Oh, no, I, I missed miss a part. And so Jesus responds again, and he says, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of living, uh, a water welling up to eternal life. Once again, he's trying to get at this part of her soul, right? His words are spirit and life. You know, the words of Christ are spirit and life, right? His words are like trying to be spirit and life. And how does she respond? Uh, And once again, she responds in the natural. She's like, then give me this water because I'm kind of sick of coming up and drawing water like in the middle of the day like this. So uh, give me this water so that I don't have to draw water again. And so Jesus uses like the more direct approach. He goes right to to the heart. He's like, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answers him, I have no husband. And Jesus says to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you, ha- what you have said is true. Jesus gets to the heart of the matter here. He gets to the heart of the, the issue at hand. And I believe that it's not so much that she's had five husbands, and then that the one that she has right now is not her husband. The fact that like, what Jesus is trying to address is not her sin. And I'm not talking about sin is right or anything right what jesus is trying to address is her soul and he's trying to address this longing this thirst this this yearning in her soul a longing for something more a longing for satisfaction in her soul if you've gone through five five husbands it's not because like like you know like you just want to have five husbands it's because there's a longing in her soul she, 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 there's, a, there's something that needs to be satisfied inside of her. The fact that she's had, had like, like it's, it's not, Jesus is not trying to point out her sins. And because and, and, at the end of the day, we're all sinners, right? We're all sinners. But to, she's trying to point out this longing and, and this need for satisfaction. And I'm not, I'm not trying to be soft on sin here. I'm not saying that sin is, like, sin is bad, right? Sin is bad, you know, and we need to repent. We need to turn and we need to face God. But true repentance doesn't come from us trying not to sin. I've tried that before. It doesn't work. But it comes, it has more to do with this satisfaction, this yearning, this thing that inside of our soul that needs to be satisfied, this hole that is within our soul that is crying out for satisfaction. And this is what Jesus is trying to get at. Jesus is saying, hey, She's like, I'm, I can satisfy your soul. And she's like, well, you don't have a bucket. And he's like, I can satisfy your soul. I can give you living water. He's like, well, then give me this water so that I don't have to come here and draw this water. And he's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to the heart, your heart. You've had five husbands. And the one that you're with right now is not your husband. There is a longing in your soul. There is a need in your soul to be satisfied. Now, if you look at my life, so much of my sins, so much of my simple lifestyle came from this feeling of emptiness that I had in my heart. And a lot of unhealthy things happen when we try to fill that void. You know, like drugs, alcohol, sex, all these things, relationships, pornography, even things that seem harmless like TV and like, you know, Facebook. No matter what you try to put inside this hole, it will not satisfy your soul. 
I'm getting older. I don't like to say I'm old because there's people that are older than me here maybe. So I'm getting older, right? I'm 42 years old. And the more I live on this earth, the more I realize it is hard to get satisfaction. And I, and I actually learned this lesson early on in life when I, was, when I was a young kid. When I was a young kid, like when I was 13 years old, the only thing that I wanted in life was a Nintendo, Nintendo Entertainment System, right? You guys know about NES, right? It was like the first real gaming system that was like amazing, right? So I remember all my friends had it. I was the only one that did not have it, right? And so I would ask my mom, is like, oh, it's too expensive. It's too expensive. And I'm like, oh, okay. So I would just go and play at my friend Sajin's house. We would play like, uh, like uh, Tech Mobile, like, like uh, Mike Tyson's Punch-Out, Knockout, whatever it was. And I'd be like, oh, I want this so bad. If I had this, like this yearning in my heart would go away, right? And so one, one crisp, like my, I think it was my birthday, this thing came around, and then, my, and the, and then the, the, the Nintendo went on sale. And so my mom bought me this Nintendo, and I was so happy. I was like, oh, this sad, I, I am satisfied. Like, I don't, will not ask for anything again, right? This yearning in my soul has, has, has ceased, right? And then, but what happened was the reason why the, NE, like the Nintendo went on sale was because Sega Genesis was coming out, right? And when Sega Genesis came out, it blew my mind. I was like, right? I was like, what is this, right? And then shortly after that, Super Nintendo came out, right? And you know that Super always means better, right? And so now I look at the old Nintendo and I'm like, this is, this is, this is crap, right? And all of a sudden, this yearning came back in my heart again. It was like, mom, get me a Super Nintendo. She's like, I already bought you a Nintendo. He's like, no, there is a Super Nintendo. And she's like, what is Super, Right? I never got a Super Nintendo, right? And that yearning, like, I had to buy it for myself when I was, like, in college. I got, like, a Nintendo 64, right? But it didn't, it didn't fill that void, right? And I realized, young, like, that, that it's hard to find satisfaction in this world. And as I get older, I realize that, like, it actually comes with age. And I think it's just like something that like comes with age because the things that really mattered for me in my 20s don't matter for me anymore, right? When in, the, in my 20s, I used to measure my hairline like this. I used to stick my finger right here and I make sure that my, my, this part of my, my, my finger would always match up to the bottom of my eyelash. And as it started to go higher and higher, I used to freak out. I used to have these like identity crises looking at the mirrors like, you are ugly. Uh, you're never going to get married, right? But that does not matter for me anymore, right? I really doesn't. I haven't done that in like in 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 years, right? <laughs> like like it, the things that really mattered in my heart does not matter for me. And I believe like it's a certain age when it hits people. There's a certain age when it hits people that that. And I believe that age is when fashion and new technology stops to matter. Because you look at harmonies, right? Look at old harmonies. They all dress the same, right? You know why they all dress the same? Because around the same time in their life, they all realized new fashion does not satisfy. Right? They just they just realize like I can try to follow all of these trends; it's just not going to satisfy. So they just wear what was in fashion when that part of their brain kicked in. That's why they all dress exactly the same. That's why there's a fashion industry dedicated to harmony clothes because they just make the same kind of clothes from like 1970s. And it's just, it's just, they just make it a little different, but it's the same style. They realize new fashion, new style does not satisfy. Satisfaction is hard to find. And when you find it, it's very temporary. You know that excitement of a new home? You guys move into a new apartment? That excitement of an of a, of a amazing vacation? 
It's all temporary. Satisfaction in the world is a myth. So many times the world promises us satisfaction. Like, get this, and, and you will be satisfied. Buy this, you will be satisfied. You know, like, in Korea, it's like, look like this, and you will be satisfied, right? Like, in Korea, like, there's, like, diet. I, in my Facebook page, I don't know why, but I keep on getting these, like, Facebook ads of some woman. You don't see her face, but all you see is, like, her, like, taking some pills, eating ramen, and all of a sudden she's all skinny, right? I don't know why. It's like, I, I don't know what, maybe Facebook knows that I need to lose weight, right? But like, they're so image conscious. And the idea is, if you look like this, you will be satisfied. That's why plastic surgery is like, is like booming in Korea. People from all around the world come here to get plastic surgery because they mastered it. And it's cheap. And it's because so many people here like, feel like, and what are we teaching our kids? It's like, like, you will never be satisfied in the way that God made you, right? And, and, and if you look at like America, like drug culture, it's everywhere. California, marijuana is legal. Right? Who's been busted for weed before? Am I the only one? <laughs> I, I feel it's not fair, right? I don't think it's fair that they get to do it now. And I was persecuted back then, right? <laughs> but it's like there's this, there's this culture in America. Like they, they want to feel satisfaction. And they say they just go to drugs. If it's not illegal drugs, it's like prescription drugs, like antidepressants. I know so many people, even when I was like a long time ago, when I was young, I, and this was like in like the early 2000s, I would, I would hook up with my friends and they'd be like, yeah, I'm, I'm on antidepressants. I know some of you guys might be on antidepressants and you guys might need it. But you know what? There's, there's, where that is coming from is there's this need. You feel like I, I need satisfaction. I need to be satisfied. I, there is a, and you know what? That, satis, that, that yearning is supposed to be there. The world will not satisfy you. you. It might for a minute, right? For a second. When you take a hit of that pipe, you're like, oh, I remember when I used to do drugs. I'd be like, I would, I would do drugs and I'd be like, oh, this is, this is, I want to feel like this forever. And then like five minutes later, it's like, I need more, you know, like. And it's the same way, like, when you buy your, your, like, your new, like, Ferragamo boots, and you're like, ah, oh, this makes me feel so amazing, right? That lasts only for a little while. Or when you get, like, the, the new gaming station, PS5, whenever that comes out, you're going to be like, this is amazing, but it only lasts for a little while. The world will not satisfy you. This, the things of this world cannot satisfy you. Because you are made to be satisfied by something so much greater. And when you look at animals, right, animals are satisfied being who they are. Like if you look, at, you look at a lion, I said this in my Busan campus. If you look at a lion, right, a lion is satisfied just being in Africa, like eating zebra, taking naps, and like licking themselves, you know. Then they're satisfied, right? There's no like, there's no like lion like scar from, from Lion King like, doing like premeditated murder to like become the best lion and all of the lion. Like, ah, oh, I want to be the greatest lion. Like having a, a like a, a henchman of hyenas trying to be the best lion, right? He's just satisfied just being a lion. Oh, zebra today. Okay. Like I lick my hands and, and take a nap, drink some water and I'm okay. He's satisfied being, but then man, you know what? We're made in God's image. And you know what? We were meant to be satisfied by something so much greater. We, were, we cannot be satisfied by created things because there is a need in us that can only be satisfied by the Creator. There, there is a need in us 
and, and, and it can only be satisfied by the one that created us. Because when man sinned and we were separated from God, there was like a hole, there was a chasm that was left there. There's a, there's a chasm that's left in our soul, and it's a space that was originally intended for us to be connected with God. And no matter what we try to fill that chasm with, we try to fill that with all of the amazing things of this world, it's, it's not going to fit. It's like trying to put a, a square peg into a round, round hole. Have you, try, have you tried that? <laughs> I just burped a little bit. Have, have you tried that? It just doesn't work. You can try to fill that hole with whatever it is. At the end of the day, there's still going to be that longing in your soul because it was meant to be filled by God. Only Jesus can satisfy your soul, your career, family. These are all good things. I'm not telling you not to go get married and have kids, right? Get married, dude. Have kids. It's great, right? Go after that PhD. Go after that degree. Go after that job. Go at, it's, it's good. These are good things. These are blessings of the Lord. But know that no matter what you have, it will not satisfy that part of your soul. No matter how like, like, like prestigious your work is, it, it'll feel good. And, and you'll be satis- you can be satisfied with your job, but it will never satisfy your soul. Your wife cannot satisfy you. That sounds bad. I'm not saying that I want more wives. <laughs> or that the wife that I have, like, you know, like, is not doing her job. I love my wife. And I am satisfied with my wife. I, I, there's no other woman that I would want to be with. Right, that's the truth. Right? Right? But, I'm, that, but she doesn't satisfy my soul. Like kids. Kids are great. Actually, they're not sometimes. There are times where I, I want to ask God, can I give them back, right? And no matter how great they are, no matter how cute they are, no matter how successful they are, they will not satisfy your soul. You know how I know? I know parents that live through their kids and they still are not satisfied. They live vicariously, Korean parents live vicariously through their kids. You know what? You see this like, it's never enough. Created things cannot satisfy your soul. There's a hole in your soul that can only be satisfied by God. And this is what Jesus is trying to communicate to this woman. You have five husbands. And the one that you have is not your husband. You are restless. You have a longing in your soul. You have a longing in your spirit. But the one, like, and, and I'm the one. God is the one that can satisfy your soul. There's all these barriers there were all these barriers that kept Jesus from even talking to this woman. And Jesus just breaks down all those barriers with four words. Give me a drink. And as their conversation progresses, he's like, I will satisfy your soul. I will satisfy your thirst. You know what? There is, a, there is an unsurmountable barrier between man and God. Like there's nothing that we can do to make a way to God. Right? Like your, your righteous works are like filthy rags to God. Right? But then what happened? Jesus makes a way. He like, he breaks through those barriers. And you know what? He comes and you know what the message that he has for us is like, I will satisfy your soul. I can satisfy your soul. Your soul was made by me. Your soul was made for me. And I alone can satisfy that longing in your heart. You know, he knows your sin. 
And he has a plan for your sin. It's the blood of Jesus Christ, right? You repent, turn from him. You have grace, right? But the purpose of that plan of Jesus has to go back to before the fall. Because the purpose of all of this was for us to be united with him. Enjoying him, being satisfied by him. This is the heart of God. Jesus had to come because we sinned, but his original intent was he wanted to be connected with us. God is sovereign, and in his sovereignty, he chooses, I want to be connected with you. I want us to be united. Now, sometimes we know God loves us, but there are times when we actually don't feel satisfied with God. How many of you guys feel that way? Me too. It's okay if you, if you raise your hand, right? Sometimes we feel like we know that God loves us. We know the word of God. We know that he died on the cross for our sins. And we know that, that, that we, have, we are one with him. You know, we, are, we are blameless and righteous before him in heaven. We know all these things, but, but sometimes we just don't feel it, right? And I believe that there could be a number of reasons for this. And the first reason I have is that we have to understand that we are not satisfied by things. Even God's blessings. In Psalm 103, it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Like whenever I sing this, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Oh, my soul, right? Bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless his holy name. Bless all my soul. And forget not all his benefits. These are benefits that we have in, in, in God, right? He like forgives all our iniquities. He heals all our disease. He... Uh, he uh, redeems us from, uh, from, the, from the pit. He crowns us with steadfast love and mercy. And then what does he say? He says, David says, he satisfies my soul with good. He satisfies me with good. God who can satisfy me with good so that our youth is renewed like the eagles. Not the, not the Philadelphia eagles. But those, the majestic eagles that rise above the storm and just fly right, where, where the world is just below. Like that is... What God does, he satisfies us with good. And the good that God has for us are not good things. We have to know this. This is key. Because the only one that is good is God. And the one that satisfies us are not things from God, but it's God himself. Now, there's a rich young ruler. Like He comes to Jesus and like, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus is like, why do you call me good? No one is good except God, right? And here, Jesus isn't saying like, oh, I'm not God or I'm not either. But he's saying like, there is no goodness outside of God. No one is good except God. And then he says like, go and like, like, like don't sin. Like, do not murder. Do not steal. Do not lie. Do not like defraud people. Honor your mother and father. And he's like, well, I've done all of this since I was just a little kid, right? And Jesus is like, well, you lack one thing. Sell everything and give it to the poor. And then follow me. And what happens? Jesus isn't saying like, you know, everybody needs to sell everything, give to the poor and follow me. Right? But what he's saying is like, choose me. Choose me. I am I'm God. I, I am good. There is no good outside of me. If you want to know what good thing you must do, you need to choose me. Right? Choose me. I am good. God is good. God alone is good. Choose God. And what does this man do? What does he do? He goes away all pathetic. He's like, mm. Because he what? He could not what? At the end of the day, 
Money was better than God. Even the blessings of God could actually be above God to us at times. And we have to understand that the good that God has for us isn't His blessings. His blessings are like the sprinkle. The cake is God. And we have to choose Him. The good that God has for us is Himself. He satisfies us. When we choose Him, He satisfies us with Himself. It's like knowing Him. It's like relationship with Him. It's like communication with Him. It's like obeying Him. It's being dependent on Him. That will satisfy your soul. Only He can satisfy your soul. He is a good that satisfies us. So many times our satisfaction is contingent on His blessings. This is like me all the time. I feel satisfied in the Lord when things go my way. I feel satisfied in the Lord when I get that promotion. I feel satisfied in the Lord when, when you know, like when, when the girl I asked out says yes. And you really feel satisfied, right? Nothing in the world is wrong when she says yes. She's like, are you going on a date with me? Yes. Oh, you know, like... It's like, it's like the, the, like everything in the world is right. And then when she like says, oh, I don't think this is going to work out. It's like, everything in the world is wrong. But here's the thing. You can never be truly satisfied in God when it's God and. It can never be God and. Jesus' number one commandment was love the Lord your God with all your strength, all your, your heart, all your mind, all your soul. That's number one. There is no other commandment greater than that commandment. And he has to be first for all of this to work right. You know that? You know, in order, to faith, in order for faith to work right, God has to be first. Right? He does. And there's times when you can actually, like, you know, do faith pretty good. But if he's not number one, it's, it's all going to, it's like a car. It's going to eventually start to, and it's going to stall. He has to be number one. And that means you obey him when he says obey. It means not just praying, but having a life of prayer, communicating with the one that you love. It means, it means reading and writing his word on the tablet of your heart. It means, it means looking at him and saying, you, you are what satisfies me. It's having the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is not being terrified of God. It basically is saying, God is everything. And if he, and, and without him, there's nothing. Like, I love God so much that without him, like, like, there's nothing in this world for me, right? That's the fear of the Lord. In order to have the fear of the Lord, you really have to put God first. What are you facing today? I want to ask you. Are you, are you, are you, are you, is your focus on a blessing of God? It's okay. But then if you, if you focus on that blessing too much, your eyes are always going to be taken off of the one that's going to bless you. Is your eyes and your priorities on the things given and not on the giver? Because we were made and we were never meant to be satisfied by things. We were never made to be satisfied by created things. You know what? All of the blessings of God are created things. The second one is, it could be your diet. 
Now you can have filet mignon in front of you, but if you've been snacking on Cheetos and gummy bears, a steak's not going to look good, right? I'm hot. Wait, let me. I got too many lights here, man. It's like you can have like the, the best meal in, sitting in front of you, but if you've been snacking on things, it's never gonna be. It's never gonna feel right. It's never gonna be as good as it could be. I don't know if you know, but I I like to smoke. Right, I smoke meat. PC knows. Right? I have a I have a, this deck on my roof, and I I bought a, a barbecue grill, and I bought a smoker, and I smoke meat. Right, not cigarettes. Right, but I, I and this is how it happens. Right, it takes a it's a long process. It takes actually a week. I have to go to Costco, and I got to get this chunk of meat, frozen meat. I bring it. And I defrost it in the, in the, the um, refrigerator. It takes about four days. So it's four days of me just looking at this piece of meat, waiting for it to slowly defrost. Because if you put it in the microwave or you leave it outside, it's, gonna, it's, gonna, it's not going to be right. So it takes about three or four days for this to melt. And then when it melts, I cut that plastic open and I cover it with rub. I take this dry rub that I got from America and, it's like, it's, and I cover all, you know, and at first I put mustard. You put mustard to make it like, you know, congeal. And then and you cover it with this dry rub. And then you let it sit for about six hours. And then I used to wake up at three in the morning to do this, right? Because it takes like 13, 14 hours. So if you're going to eat at six o'clock at night, I usually have to start at three in the morning. And so I would wake up at three in the morning. I would go up on the roof. And then I would, I would, I would get the smoke ready. You know, and like, like smoke is like flying in my eyes from all the charcoal and I'm just cold outside and I'm getting everything ready and I put it on the grill and I, and every, like I, I keep what, make sure the temperature doesn't go above like 225 Fahrenheit and then make sure that it doesn't go below 225 Fahrenheit and that it doesn't go above 250 Fahrenheit. There's just like this key like window where it, it must be like maintained, right? So I check it constantly. I'm like going up and down. I have these stairs in my house. I go up and down. I'm fat, so it's hard. So it's like I'm like sweating. I go up and I check, and then like I have a little alarm on my meat thermometer, and it'll tell me like beep, 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 beep when it goes below, and I, I got to go up there and add more charcoal. And it takes me 13 hours of smoking, right, for this to come out right. right? And then halfway through, I wrap it in foil, right? And then, and then, and then, and I put it back. It's called the Texas cheat, right? This is how like really good Texas barbecue comes out. And I would put it back in the grill and I sit there for another like six hours. And when it's finally done, when internal temperature hits about like 195, right? And it's been, it's been cooking for like 13 hours. I take it off and I put it in an ice cooler and I let it cool for about an hour, right? Because it has to like slowly, temperature has to slowly. And finally, after that hour, I take it out and I'm covered. I, I smell like a chimney now, right? I really do. My wife makes me shower like seven, seven times. She was, sometimes she won't let me sleep in the bed, right? Because like the smell just doesn't come off me. It smells like, like burning like wood, right? And, and, and like I got all these dirt under my nails. And like I've been sweating. And it's, I've, been, like, I've been up since 3 in the morning, right? All the, and then finally I get that brisket and I take it out. And then I cut that open. Right? And it's just juicy. It's just falling out. It's just coming apart. And, it, and I, I slice it really, like, nice. I slice it. And I, and I put it on a plate. And I give it to you. And you tell me, like, oh, Kayla, that's awesome. But, like, you know what? I had chicken McNuggets and, like, and like some, uh, and like a Snickers bar earlier. And I'm really not that hungry. You know what I would do? I would kick you out of my house, right? <laughs> I would kick you out of my house. But that's what it is. We have God who is this amazing like, like he's God, and he, only he can truly satisfy our soul. But then we fill our things with so many of these things that's going to just 
like kill our appetite. We, we fill our hearts, like our, our, that area with like, 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 like TV, like, like Netflix, Hulu. What else is there? Like Korean dramas, all of these things. And, and, and by the time that we, it's time for us to be satisfied by God, it's like we don't have the energy. What does Paul say? He's like, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. He says in Colossians, set your minds on things above. Set your minds on eternal things. You know, and you know what? TV is not bad. I watch TV. Netflix is not bad. Who, Korean dramas are not bad. Right? Who watches This Is Us? Right? You guys watch This Is Us? I thought there would be more people here, right? I haven't watched it yet because I don't like being emotionally manipulated, right? <laughs> like, that's why I don't watch Korean dramas. I feel like I'm being emotionally manipulated, right? But then, like, those things are not bad. But then if you think that those things are going to satisfy your soul, you're wrong. Because what happens at the end of every Korean drama? There's like, you want more, right? Even Black Panther. Some of you are like, watch out now, right? It's a great movie. No, Wakanda Forever. But even Black Panther will not satisfy your soul. It's not like, I will never have to watch another movie again. Black Panther is it for me. That's all I, that's it. Movies are done from, no. Nothing of this worth will satisfy you. But then we, we, we fill our, our soul, we fill our space with so much of these things. And we have to know, what are, what are the things that you're snacking on? What are these things that you're just slowly just, you know, and it's, it's, it's like innocuous. It doesn't feel bad. But then w- those things can actually be killing the appetite for the one that could truly satisfy your soul. And the last one, I'm going to close soon, is sometimes you're doing everything you can and your desire is there, but you just can't feel it. How many feel like that sometimes? Things with God just feel flat. You know God loves you, but you just don't feel it, right? You just don't feel that spark. You just don't feel that zeal. Joy is hard. It feels like, like, and you're not like in sin or you're not like, you know, rebelling from the Lord. You're trying everything you can and you just don't feel it. It's not deception. It's not, it's not lies of the enemy. You just don't feel it in your heart. Well, what is it then, right? I feel like this sometimes. And, and it just might be that God just loves you so much that he loves you so much that he might actually be disciplining you. You know, like, like God's discipline sometimes comes when you're doing everything right. You know that? Wilderness seasons come when you're doing everything right. It just might be that God loves you so much that he's disciplining you. It might be a wilderness season for you. It might be, he might have removed certain graces over your life to actually make things harder for you. And in those seasons, when things get hard, and it's like moving in mud. Have you ever moved in mud? It's like really hard. Like, like you want to run with God. You want to run with the Lord. But as you feel this resistance, what do you do then? And this is my prescription for you. You stand on the word of God. You stand on the Word of God. Even though it doesn't feel good, even though you don't feel it, you stand on the Word of God. God loves me. He is my shepherd. He satisfies my soul. 
right? Like he, God is for me. God is not against me, right? Like no, no death, no life, no angels, no, no demons, no the present or the future, or, or no height nor depth. Nothing in this world could separate me from the love of God. You stand on the word of God. Because, you know what, that season that you're going through, that, that wilderness season or that, that, that time of like dryness, a disciplined time that you're going through might actually be the very thing that you need for you to enjoy God even more in your next season. And God is actually testing you. And in the wilderness, what are you supposed to do? Just crawl up and die? No. What do you do? You cry out. And if I'm lost in the wilderness... I'm not going to just crawl up and die. I'm going to cry, help, help. And, and you know what? Sometimes in your season of dryness, God just wants to see that cry from your heart. He wants you to stand on the word of God. Now, I want to end with this. When your soul is satisfied in him, that's when you can truly be satisfied in yourself. That's why when, you, when your soul is satisfied in him, that's when you can truly be satisfied in who you are, in your identity. And then from that place, when your soul is satisfied, you can actually be satisfied in the blessings of God. You know what it means to be satisfied in the blessings of God? It's thanksgiving. You, know, you can only have true thanksgiving when you're, when you're satisfied by God. And then... When you're truly satisfied by God and then you're satisfied in the blessings of God, you have this thanksgiving that's welling up inside of you. That's when true worship flows out of you. Now, Jesus, in interaction with his woman, he talks about, he says that, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him and that worship flows from being satisfied in him. I mean, David talks about in Psalm 103, he's like, bless the Lord, oh my soul, all that is within me. Bless his holy name. He's like, he's like bless the Lord. There's this worship that is like, like coming and flying out of his heart. And that place, it comes from being satisfied. Not in the things that God has given him. Not in the, in the things that you want, but being satisfied by the one that created you. That one, that part, the one that created that longing in your heart. He put that longing in your heart because he wants to satisfy it. Now, if you ever read by Piper's, any of John Piper's where he talks about it, it's called, he calls it Christian hedonism. He's like, God is most glorified when you are more sat, most satisfied in him. But you know what? At the heart of it, it's like, it's, it's God is the only one that could fill that place. And we all have that yearning. We all have that longing. You know, that longing is a way that is a reason why some of you guys do stupid things. That longing is definitely the reason why I did so many stupid things in my life. I acted a certain way. That I, I presented this, like, prideful front. That where I, I, I like, like, you know, like, pretended to be somebody. There's so many things that I've done in my life. And it came from this yearning that I have in my heart. I wanted to be accepted. I wanted to be loved. I wanted to be, like, I wanted to be, like, like you know, whatever it is. That longing, it actually is a longing that God deposited in me. Saying, you know what, I want to satisfy you. And then, you know, when, when he satisfies me, man. Like, like, that's when worship starts to really shoot out of me. 
God tore down all of these barriers and he made a way. And his desire and his message for us is, hey, man, I want to satisfy you today. I want to satisfy your soul. Come to me. Look at me. Face me. Don't, don't look at all of the things because they will not satisfy. Look at me and I will satisfy your soul. Let's pray. Father God, we just gather today. And, I, and Lord, I, 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 I want to confess, Lord, that I've been running after things that do not satisfy. Lord, I've been, I've been looking for two things and I've been filling myself with things of this world that just doesn't satisfy. And Lord, at times my, my faith falls flat. At times my, my zeal for you it goes numb. But Lord, I just pray that our hearts and our minds and our, our strength and our soul, everything that is within us, will start to look to you. And that, that we will allow our souls to be satisfied by you. You are the one that created our souls. And you are the one. And you alone can satisfy our souls. And we pray that true worship will happen in our lives. I pray for every single person that this word goes out to, Lord, that as we are satisfied in you, I pray for true worship, that our lives will be a worship unto you. That it will be true worship. As you say in John 4, worship, that we will worship you in spirit and in truth. There will be no fakeness to our worship because it really will be an overflow, an overflow from the satisfaction that we have in you, that our worship will be an overflow of you declaring your sovereignty over our souls. We thank you, Lord. We love you. And, and we give you all the glory and honor today. We bless your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.